0: So, good to see you.
1: Good to see you too.
0: Hey, um, any news? How's your app? Did you get hear back from the review board panel?
1: I did. And what did they say? I got rejected again. <laughs> oh, no. They just basically said that um, they had reviewed the review and the original, I don't know, result stood. They agreed.
0: Did they give any further justification? Did they give Not really, more detail no. about the original?
1: They just said... Um, we believe the app is too simple. Same, same reason. And they said they gave me some suggestions. Maybe you can um favorite airports or something. And I was like, oh, that's so simple. So I'm just <laughs> gonna chuck that in and resubmit, and resubmit it. it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> actually, it could be a good experiment in what is the threshold, right? Yeah. Um, I've actually heard of people who have resubmitted an unmodified app and found it to get through. So it's been rejected. They resubmit it. Say it's updated, and a different reviewer reviews it. And a different reviewer has a different subjective. I've opinion. heard
1: that as well, and I didn't think of that. But maybe I'll try. Ah, uh, actually, no. I don't want to poison my relationship. What if yeah, get
0: rejected yeah. again? I mean, that's the thing. I, I think, despite all the stories you hear about app review, you know, Apple are trying to do the right thing by users and developers. Yeah. Um, and whilst this we've all heard of ways of gaming the system to try and get around the, the rules. I reckon most of the time sort of working cooperatively with them and actually taking their feedback and things like that might be the best approach. Having said that, I've never had such a, you know, I've never encountered a situation where they've been completely um, unreasonable. It I think feel differently if they I
1: think it might be because when you get the data, like the weather data, it's not interactive, so my idea was just it's just like a quick read and you go, sweet, good, I know the weather now. But mm. I think they want you to be able to do something with the data. So I might just chuck in a share button and resubmit, see how that goes. That'll take me 30 seconds.
2: Mm. Yeah, especially if you're you you you're, you're targeting iOS 6, yeah?
1: Yeah, so I can just use that new one. Activity you can use the activity sheet. sheet. Yeah, that's yeah the a,
2: those are really simple to
1: implement. So, yeah. That's me. I'm still feeling a bit rejected. My career I think is over.
0: <laughs> I don't I, I don't think you're you're a legit developer until you've been rejected a few times.
1: I've been rejected before as well and I managed to get over it. That's good. So I think i will think be fine in the long he just, run. You
2: just spent, spent a few nights at home eating ice cream out of the straight out of the container crying watching uh sad movies. But no. Mm. Mm. What's a sad movie that
1: you would watch? Top Gun. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> spoilers, but I can't still can't believe Goose dies. It gets me every day. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Welcome to the where movie to review podcast. Don't where don't where developers review movies.
1: Uh, so, um,
0: I'm on to hooks myself. Actually, I've just submitted an app, fully expecting to get rejected. Also, is it sitting
1: and waiting for review? It is waiting for review.
0: Yeah. I uh, checked the, uh, this is an app I'm working on for a client. And of course, um, there happened to be banners advertising it. Big banners, you know, like already.
1: Really? Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. Have you taken a picture of yourself in front of one?
0: I've taken a picture of a banner, but not myself in front of it. Maybe I should do that later. You should. Um, I'm a little reluctant to draw attention to that because the app is not in the store yet. Long story, yeah. won't get into it. Miscommunications, maybe. Anyway, uh, should, hopefully, it's, it's waiting for review, so uh, fingers crossed it'll be uh, be approved soon. But I do always uh, plan to allow time for at least one rejection. So when I am talking to clients, I make it clear that, you know, that, that uh, you can't ever guarantee a date of availability for an app until it's been approved. And even then, there's always a the chance that Apple could pull it, but that's really unlikely. Uh, so in terms of booking advertising and things like that, my advice is don't book advertising or media or make firm commitments to publicity deadlines until the app is actually sitting there approved, ready for sale. Um, because the submission review process is, is something that you can't necessarily control. Um, I'm hoping that this app won't be rejected and we'll just get through and be available soon. Um And I'm really hoping that it is rejected. It's not because of anything I've messed up, although that's a possibility. Um, But I've just had so many experiences where sometimes apps are rejected for potentially reasons that are, are outside your control. Like I think I've had one in the past where it was rejected because the app contained content that could potentially have been... that was obviously copyrighted content and the reviewer wasn't sure that we had permission from the rights holders, so it was reject- been rejected, rejected with a question. Basically, rejected saying, "Are you sure you have permission?" The answer is yes. So in resubmitting it, you answer the question, and then it was approved. Um, and so things like that. Just you know, another reason for rejection I've had before is um, with video. Uh, there are quite strict requirements around how video is delivered to devices on cellular networks. Um, including that you've got to have multiple bit rates. One of the bit rates has to be below 60 kilobits per second. Um, but they also run tools to validate your video streams. And uh, one of the things in these multiple bit rate video streams is that the uh, metadata in the stream advertises a bit rate. So it says, you know, this video has three versions available 60 kilobits per second, 200 kilobits per second, 400, whatever. Uh, and then they look at that metadata and then they actually download some video and then they compare the actual bitrate in the video to the advertised bitrate in the metadata. And if it's the difference between the two is too significant, then they can reject it on that basis as well. I like that. I like it too, because as a user, I think actually this might be plaguing the WWDC app at the moment. I don't know if you guys have been getting <laughs> hanging in the video. I've been getting it so much. Like I was trying to watch some on my Apple TV the other day, and it was hanging every 10, 20 seconds. Um, and that can be what happens if the... Advertised bitrate in the stream is saying this stream's 200 kilobits per second, but the actual bitrate is higher than that, then the player like, will be continually to choose a kind of higher bitrate because it can keep up with the low bitrate one. Go, I can play this easily. So it'll promote itself to the next highest bitrate. You know, it says, like, okay, you're advertising this one that's 200 kilobits per second. I should be able to manage that because I've measured my throughput at more than 200 kilobits per second. So it switches up to that. But if the actual bitrate in that video is higher than that, um, and lower than what available bandwidth you've got, then it can keep he- keep hanging and be really annoying. So I kind of like that they check it, but it's the sort of thing that's really, really hard to know that you've got right without doing that sort of thorough review. Because um, video codecs, you know, you, when you encoding video, you set a target bit right? for the codec you sort of yeah. say i want this to be around 200 kilobits per second but it varies depending on what the content of the video is so if you've got lots of lots of movement within every single frame then it's going to be harder for the codec to actually achieve that bit right
1: that reminds me you saying that the not from the this time i went to dub dub but the last time i was at stump the experts which for people who don't know is an event apple puts on after one night during the conference where they have a whole pile of Apple experts up on the stage and you can, answer, you can ask them questions you already know the answer to. And if they can't answer them, you win a prize. And, yeah, someone asked how it was possible that the DubDub Dub app got through the app review team and listed a whole pile of violations. And their answer was that it was an enterprise app and it wasn't. It was We got it through the app store. I thought that was hilarious. So he got a prize. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Yeah, nice. And Jelly, you've got an app. I do. Been waiting for a review too.
2: So, since the start of Mobile Couch, I've been talking about how I've been writing the uh, Multiplex app or the comic app, as it was called before I was allowed to say who, what it was. Uh, it's just an, it's an app that you can use to uh, browse the uh, archives of an online comic uh, called Multiplex, um, which I've been doing in tandem with the guy who actually. Uh, writes and illustrates multiplex. Can't really use the word draw because he doesn't draw. He does it all in Illustrator, so I guess it's illustrates. Uh, that's gone into review as of 3 a.m. this morning.
1: <laughs> oh, and it's still in review? Well,
2: no, no, sorry. It's, in, it's waiting for waiting review for as well. It. Ah, it's okay. gone into the queue for review, is what I should,
0: should have said. So I'm I th- hopefully slightly ahead of you. I think I got mine in Monday. Yep. And, uh, which was two days ago. Um, and at the time I checked the review. Do you know, you guys know where to look for the yep. stats? The so average review times? Yeah. For people yep. that mightn't, it's developer.com.au. dot. Sorry. Start again. Developer.apple.com
1: slash news. Really? That's not where I look.
2: See, I don't look there either. I use Can the we check there is, that I'm right. There is one that, uh, like there's a third party one, yeah, 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 that I that I use, um, that I use to keep on top of like the average review times. Um, so it's it's powered by Twitter, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's powered by hashtags. Th- uh, Twitter hashtags. So people uh, tweet about how long their review times were, uh, mark with a hashtag for either the iOS app store or the Mac app store. Uh, and there's a website, uh, that's developed by a group called Shiny Development. Not us. <laughs> Not 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 these guys. Uh, who who basically have a website that uh, collects all that, parses it, averages it out, and co- creates like a graph of of how
0: long the average time is. It's really good. So yeah. it's actually pretty. pretty it tends accurate. to be very accurate. A- Apple don't expose anywhere near that level of detail on their site. But I'd be interested to see which what the two are saying at the moment. So what did uh, that that one say? That one is saying that it's
2: roughly six days.
0: Okay, so Apple Apple present their stats in a really interesting way that's hard to pick apart they currently say 95% of all new apps are reviewed within five business days at the moment
1: it's interesting that they say business days because the review team seems to work seven days a week yeah
0: maybe I've put that in there
1: I think no I think they say business days
0: but we should check both those put both those links in the show notes uh, hopefully I did get it right and it is developer.apple.com slash news Um. But I always like to check that as a way of, again, giving um a sense of setting expectations for clients to sort of say. And it's nice to be able to cite Apple's kind of official stats so you can you know use the mm-hmm. same kind of language that they use to sort of say, you know, there's no guarantee it's going to be reviewed within that time frame, but if 95% of new apps have been reviewed in the past five days, then chances are yours will be, be reviewed yeah,
2: you know, so this week. The, the Shiny development one um, uses... Yes, you've got the website right. The Shiny Development one doesn't just limit itself to new apps; it's all right. Apps provide times. two stats. So yeah. they
0: do 95% of new apps within five business days, and a certain percentage of updates within. There's uh,
2: the current one from this. This is which is last updated June 28. Today, I don't
0: know. We're in July already, so a week ago
2: probably. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. So, uh, as of the time of recording. Uh, the, the stats say new apps are 95% in the last five business days and app updates are 97% in the last five business days. So it's, it's roughly on
0: par with yeah. what the... The thing that the other sounds interesting to me about is that it, if it graphs that over time, it might give you a sense of when when things are slow and when things are fast. It does. What, what leads, like, is it slowing yeah. to lead up? You Probably can see when
1: they move people across review teams. So the Mac review time skyrocketed yeah. like six months ago or something, didn't it? Yeah. Up to like 20 days. And yeah, the iOS really one came down to about two days. And yeah, the graphs show it. was yeah.
2: quite interesting. So currently the iOS ones, because I looked at this like last night, just before we submitted, um it was on a slight upward trend so it started about 30 days ago it was at about four four and a half and now it's at six and it's the the mac one is is the basically the reverse of that um yeah so i'll I'll throw the i'll throw the uh we'll we'll throw the links for both of those into the uh into the show notes because they are very very useful if you've got a if you've got an app in review and you kind of you know especially if you're dealing with clients or if you you know if you for some reason have people on your back as to you know when is this kind of be kind yeah. of coming out it kind yeah. of gives you it's not so, something that you can really use to say okay we're going to be out in you know x number of days because you can't guarantee that exactly and i think that's um, worth
0: reiterating like like the number of times i've been bitten by this uh you know if if at all possible avoid hard deadlines until your app's been approved. So if you can plan your development such that you allow sufficient time to submit the app well ahead of of any hard deadline and have it reviewed, I can't remember which app it was. I worked on one where there was a media event booked and press releases sent out and media invited. Maybe it was iview. I think it was iview. Um, and our way of handling that was um, actually in the lead-up to completion submitting getting to a point where we felt the app was sufficiently finished in terms of the feature set and the polish that if worse came to worse we'd be happy to release it and submitting that at that point even though we still had other features we planned to add to the app before yeah its first release so that you have a version there that's approved that if everything else goes completely pear-shaped. You can still get out in time for your deadline and then continue to work on the rest of the features that you would like to have in that first version. That's how
1: we do it as well. And the other advantage of that is you can send promo codes out for apps that aren't even on the app store. Really? Mhm. So, so people you, can access You as long as you send them a promo code, so you yeah. can send out that 1.0 to reviewers and and then you can, update a, you can update it to 1.1 and release the next version if you want.
0: So, in terms of sending out promo codes, the app needs to be ready for sale. Mm-hmm. But the release date can be in the future. Yes, and you Fantastic.
1: still you can't use that as some great way to have a million beta testers because you can only how many promo codes do you get, you get per 50. release? There you go, fifty. So, but it's really good to we use it for reviewers so they don't pollute mm. our device count. Yeah, that's great. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think that's typically what it's supposed to be for is for things like. Um, you yeah, press and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I we think quite often release. Really that's see. typically what the the review the the codes are for anyway, is for providing press and you know, VIPs with
0: uh, with copies of the app. And I think that that process of submitting a little bit earlier than you're at the last possible time is good practice for allowing time for discovering the sort of more complex issues that could lead to an App Store rejection. Yeah, definitely. you know, things like, yeah, like rights clearances and things like that where you actually might need to do some negotiation and some work to get to a point where you you have everything you need to be able to go ahead and release it. Yeah, it can sort of give you, I guess, heads up on the sort of problems you might encounter, um, you know, when you actually finish the full functionality. Uh, The one proviso I've heard, though, is... um, Probably not a good idea to submit something That's so early on That you wouldn't want to release It at all, because I think Apple probably Would not look kindly on You know You submitting something that you didn't intend to actually release Because then that's kind of putting the review team Through unnecessary reviews and things like that
1: Yeah, I've heard that too hmm. And there's, there's always the here. chance that you'll accidentally Click release yeah. Which has happened to quite a few people
2: so typically, what I have, what I do, especially when I'm producing new builds of progressions, or uh, in the case of if, of multiplex, it. Um, so, last night I released it in two ways. So I published, I pushed it to the App Store for for review, so it's in the queue, and I also pushed it out as uh, as a as a beta quote beta uh, to to our to our testers, and the idea being that. Uh, while it's sitting there waiting for review, people are actually, you know, testing it, using it. If there's any sort of major issues that we're going to be, we're going to know about, uh, then it's, you know, it's, it's quite easy for me to go, okay, well, we need to, you know, put a stop to the, to the review and, uh, and just, you know, fix that and then resubmit it. Um. Doing that sort of thing in tandem is really is is really useful because it means that uh you're not you don't go through the beta process you know for your, for your golden master and uh you know like two weeks of beta testing or you know a week of beta testing or however long you you provide you give your app only to find that you know it's it's perfectly fine and you could have submitted it and then you've got to wait like another you know, x number of days uh in order to get it into the app store which essentially prolongs the time between you know completing the app from you know two one to two weeks to being like you know three to four yeah yeah it's very useful to you know, to do those kind of things in tandem but you don't do you, you do it for the golden master you don't do it if you just if it's just a you know test release that you're going to be pushing out to beta testers and fixing and then you know doing another one that's yeah. pointless
0: I guess the the only point where doing it really really early on makes sense is if the kind of premise of your app. Is around a kind of risky idea, you know. If you're wanting to develop an app that might potentially be in contravention of App Store policies, I'm trying to mm-hmm. st- struggling to think of an example here. Um, you know, it might be nice to actually try and get a a releasable implementation of the idea in front of the review panel before you go and spend a ridiculous amount of time on sure know, all of the. F- Full features that you might ever possibly want, only to find that in fact that idea was never going to get up.
1: Well, Panic said on their blog they submitted status board in a very early version for that exact reason. There yeah.
0: you go. It's a good
1: example.
2: That's probably another. Uh, that's probably a uh, kind of example of when to use a because um, you get the you get the two. Uh, oh, the tech support ones? tech support things. Where I'd say where, the info
1: bugs and stuff
2: i i, I if you, it depends on how important it is can, can you, yes. you
0: actually use those to ask for to i've never thought of that people questions have talked about...
2: to apps to, to apple about you know what's coming up and that sort of stuff before i'm pretty sure that uh marco armate used it used that sort of a solution when he was uh considering doing um the magazine yeah um he, he you know he talked directly to apple about it and actually asked questions and that sort of stuff i i assume that's what that's the channel that he used i don't know that he has uh uh, any sort of additional, you know, contacts other than what you know what regular developers have, but you you can because you have the two of those uh, that come with your thing. But you can also you can also buy more. Like you can hey, pay re- for more if you want to. If, like that
0: reminds me, my ISO, iOS Dev membership is due for renewal in like a week or so, and I still have one that I haven't used. I should so use it. You I should. Use it. Oh, f- more follow up. That reminds me again. The thing that I might use it for is to chase up a radar bug report that's sitting there that has yet to be responded. You may remember some time ago I filed a radar.
1: Yes, Was this the collection it was, view? This was the collection a few episodes view. Ago, yeah. So I think, uh,
0: stretching my memory, it was to do with uh, the visible cells. Yeah. I... The the method on a collection view to return the visible cells returns an array of cells but the order in which the cells appear in the array is not related to the order in which of the items that are represented in the collection, um, which to me seems like a bug uh, because it means that if... In my use was I was trying to look for the first visible cell, so I was asking my collection view for its list of visible cells and then getting the first element out, the zeroth element out of that. Um, Anyway, so I fired a radar. Still haven't heard it back from Apple in any official way at all, uh, but have now heard through unofficial channels that it's not a bug, that it's an API design, that I've just misunderstood the the API, um, and that the visible cells method is not guaranteed to return anything in any order. I still think it's a bug because in that case, they should be returning a set rather than an array. Agree. Yeah. In any event, there's a bug with the documentation because if that's how the API was intended to be, that should be described. Um, but
2: that's certainly something that's worth following up with on with your one of your paid support.
0: Well, it's not really following. right. So the fact that I've heard from unofficial channels means that in Radar internally, because apparently there are fields within Radar and um, status and whatnot within Radar that isn't visible to the reporting yeah, developer. Yeah. So there's probably something in that issue already that describes exactly what the problem is. Someone's probably made notes that this is not a bug and whatnot. Uh so it sounds like Apple's well aware of it. Um they just haven't communicated it back yet. So I could I may as well burn my phone. You know, well it's, one you've technical only got a week it's not like to got say. Oh to... look is an email saying yeah you've misunderstood the API
1: you will also get nice. to reset your devices you're lucky oh yeah we're we're sitting at 96 devices registered which means we have four left and we have to make it till halfway through august ouch uh, yeah it's ouch it's no good i think why, i, why I, is think it I limited? have like
0: 15 on my account i know why it's limited because oh, people so people use them to distribute beta versions of the os To non-developers Like how do you think Everyone's got iOS 7 At the moment
1: Okay cool I never made that connection
2: Wow Like only Just recently Like literally Just after uh, After iOS 7 Was You know The the beta Came out uh, There was At least One person On my Twitter account Who was basically Selling off You know the ability to—I
0: think I know who you're referring to. Yeah. To not... be fair, he was doing it for charitable reasons. <laughs> that, that's true.
2: He but... he wasn't selling it off like for his own gain. He was selling it off for the you know gain of a uh, charity.
0: But it's still incredibly dodgy. Like,
2: but yeah, like it, that's the sort of thing that gets
0: like that will have your account you know shut down. So Cause there it's have, dangerous. There have been instances of people in the past selling slots in their profiles for commercial gain. Yeah. Hmm. People just saying. You know, I've got 100 slots. If I sell them each for 10 bucks, give someone who wants an earlier release of an I- a version of iOS access to it. Right.
1: Um, yeah. yeah,
0: incredibly I, dodgy. So I can I understand... Not,
1: I don't think dodgy enough because I didn't even <laughs> consider that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can understand the the restriction, but I think it is really limiting. Like, especially if you're working for a big organization that might have 20 or 30 apps in the store and you want to test each of those on a different set of devices potentially because there are different people involved in the production of them um,
1: you can very quickly exhaust a 100 well what's what makes us go through them is for instance I'm on my third iPhone 5 in this year because you know something breaks and they're so nice about it they give you a new one but that's a new device ID oh, so, so
0: it'd be nice if a, a warranty replacement came with a new slot in your
1: I don't know just a replacement just a
0: replacement <laughs> slot
1: yeah yeah. Anyway.
2: Maybe that's something that you could ask for.
1: I should file a radar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Because, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I don't go through them nearly as quickly as, as you guys are, but then you guys have a full team. I think it's
1: because we should register an enterprise. Thing. You for probably instance, should have, at that stage. I think we have 10 iPad 2s we use to try and test our classroom stuff.
0: So enterprise um, accounts are a good partial solution to this problem. I don't know if we've discussed this previously, but with enterprise accounts, there's an unlimited number of devices you can deploy to. Um, However, if you're testing an app that you eventually plan to distribute via the App Store, there are certain things that relate to the account you're going to distribute it with. For example, push notifications, iCloud, Mm. uh, anything where you need a certificate on the server side, that certificate is hosted in a developer account and associated with an app ID. So if you, for example, want to take advantage of the fact that the enterprise developer program allows you to d- distribute ad hoc builds to an unlimited number of devices, um, but you also plan to eventually submit that app through the app store and take advantage of things like iCloud and push notifications, then you've actually got to have two app IDs. Oh. Um And so when you build it, you've got to manage the process of building it under one app ID in order to sign and distribute it with the enterprise account and then building it under the other app ID in order to distribute it under your account that you eventually plan to release it under so that you can test the features that rely on the kind of back-end infrastructure.
1: Yep, interesting.
0: frustrating, managing that process. Um,
1: I did not know that. But it's a good
0: solution for doing the kind of, you know, a widespread test of the vast majority of your app and then doing... A kind of smaller test of those features that relate to the backend services.
2: Is that something that you could do in tandem with? Uh, a few episodes back, I talked about how uh, you can you can use your build settings to create. Like multiple app IDs use the different icons for for, for your app when you're yeah. building to different targets. Exactly. Like, when you're talking about that, at the stuff? time
0: I kind of thought I made a mental note that that sounds like a better technique than the one I used when I last did this, which was just yeah. to manually change the app ID and sign it with a different certificate. So we did that. We, we did
2: that from from the get go with with uh, with multiplex. So multiplex from straight from the beginning started as you know with a a dev thing with a. Dev icon, then move to a you know a beta one with with a beta icon, then uh, we've rele- we've done the release now with the release icon. Um, all three of those have different app IDs. Yeah, only just slightly. Like one, you have the the dev one is you know this the regular app ID dot dev, and the beta one is regular app ID dot beta, and then the re- one is just the regular app ID.
0: Yeah, but if once you set up the infrastructure to be able to change app ID based on a build setting then you could easily have one app ID which is associated with your enterprise account and therefore can be distributed to an unlimited yeah, number not, of devices.
2: It's not limited to just using like prefixes or suffixes yeah. like that. You could replace the entire thing and just have have a build setting for the entire app ID. It doesn't, it doesn't, and doesn't matter. And potentially
0: you could set up the separate, like you could set up iCloud storage settings for your enterprise account and push notification stuff, test it, and then switch to your app ID and switch. But it's kind of, Nice to to actually be testing something that's very close, including all of those sorts of settings. Because when there's some apps released early on where they had errors with the certificate that was used for the um, push notifications and things like that, I can't remember which app it was. It was like a it's like p- it's not ringing a bell. Yeah. Okay. Too long ago. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I was hoping to discuss today, um, after that extended follow up. We're about halfway through the episode. <laughs> yeah. It's very extended. Uh, was Cocos 2D. I've been, Ben, since you joined us, I've been meaning to <laughs> ask you every time we meet about if you could explain a little bit about that technology to me. And just game engines in general. It's something that I've always been interested in and occasionally played with. You know, for a few hours sat down and thought I might try and get my head around some game programming and try out some ideas and never really gotten far with it. Um but I'm sure. interested to know, you know, like just, just basics. Like what, what does cocos 2D?
1: Yeah. Why would you even use it?
0: Yeah. Like what does it do that you don't get out of Coco?
1: Yeah. Sure. So, uh, cocos 2D or game engines in general, uh, what they're doing really is just wrapping whatever GPU. So, but in iOS, OpenGL. So they're, wra- they're wrapping OpenGL for you, so you don't have to know all that crazy C. And even if you know C, it's a very complicated API to write OpenGL from scratch. And people do it for fun. Um, or to if they think the engine, like Cocos 2D, isn't doing exactly what they want, they might write a game engine from scratch. But yeah, so that's what it's doing. It's just making your OpenGL stuff much easier to use in a more native format, i.e. Objective-C. Okay. And the reason you use it over, say, just Coco is that it means everything is backed by the GPU. Like, I know core animation is backed by the GPU, but you can't do, let's say, uh, if you push a whole pile of sprites, so let's say you have a particle system, and there is also a particle system in core animation, isn't there? I'm pretty sure there is. It's just, like, seriously unknown. Um, But anyway, so that will involve possibly a thousand sprites moving around on the screen, Uh, and to do that without a GPU is not going to work at all. Yeah, okay. So cocos2d will wrap that nicely for you. It'll even batch it. So what batch means is it reduces draw calls. So instead of having a thousand draw calls, one per sprite, it'll do it in one big draw. So it's as if you'd sort of composited your thousand sprites into one image and then drawn that on the screen. Yeah. So that all happens for you. Um,
0: and what about things like, I mean, you just mentioned draw calls. Mm-hmm. So take me back to like the very beginning of a basic game. Like, what it takes responsibility for sort of creating the timeline for your game and figuring out when your drawing code should be run? Like if I just do, say, a Cocoa app and I've got a UI view, I could subclass the draw rect and I get an opportunity to do some custom drawing. Yeah, and that, that
1: draw view. will be called every time the view is redrawn, and which is once, I mean, 60 times a second, right? Right, yeah um and so you've probably noticed if you do something intensive in that draw method your app grinds to a halt yeah and that's because i believe that is running on the cpu whereas if you in fact the sprite kit talk from this year's wwdc goes through a nice detail about the sort of state flow of a game engine so you start with um pre draw where you update all the positions of your items and things like that Yep. And then it moves on to um, updating the layers, let's say. And from there, you can update the physics. And there's like five stages. You'd have to watch. The talk would do it way better than I would. But yeah, basically, okay. all it is, is you have a game loop, which runs once every um, 60th of a second. And so this is something that's provided by the
0: game engine. So it's kind of like with Coco, you've got... Your, I mean, you your, can
1: do that in Cocoa as well with CA display link. So you can get a callback for every redraw. Yeah. Um,
0: but it sounds like the game loop is kind of somewhat separate from the drawing of views like it's a bit of logic that happens regularly in time not necessarily related to when frames are drawn
1: on screen or well it hopefully isn't too far apart yeah. um but it will it's synchronous so it's not like the drawing is happening in another thread it happens on the main thread and so it will wait for your game logic to happen before it draws, which is yeah. what causes your app. That's the same in any, any app. So what a, what a game engine does really is it just provides easy ways to do this. So you got to think, I guess, kind of differently. So when you're writing an app, it's very, I guess, event driven.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of makes sense to me. I'm familiar with that. Like you the your app kind of isn't doing anything a lot of the time, and the user does something like taps a button. And that generates an event which calls into something that you've hooked up in your view controller, which then causes some flow of logic and control. But with a game, there's kind of this game loop that's just running all the time. Yeah, so
1: basically you just get bang, 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 frame after frame, and you can do with that whatever you want. Most people, um, you can hook up, you know, move your item forward a little bit each time. That'll make a thing appear as as if it's going across the screen. But that's kind of low level to think about. So what Cocos 2D does is it provides easy ways to not have to think in frame by frame. Right. You can think in the old event-driven way. So you can have a sprite on screen and you can tell it to move to a position in a time. Okay. And it will take care and will, of figuring out each time take, your loop runs yep, how far right. it should move that time. That's right. So it calculates the delta per frame. and moves oh, nice. It. So it's, it just like brings it into the higher level because game programming is generally very low level. So it it just takes it up a level. hmm um, And it's also... But the yeah, the real reason to use it isn't because of that. It's because OpenGL is so hard and you have to be really know what you're doing to be able to use that. And it's just nice that these game engines exist like SpriteKit now or Cocos2D or whatever you choose to bring it to a more easy level so everyone can sort of get involved. Mm. That's what I really like about SpriteKit actually is that it gives beginners a much better chance of being able to program games.
0: Yeah, see, I'm... My interest is sparked again in terms of just trying something out. I don't think I can justify it. I think that, you know, my focus is largely on non game apps. Yeah. And I think it will continue to be so. So it's hard to sort of, you know, dedicate a big chunk of time to messing with game stuff.
1: But it's interesting.
2: I've always wanted to create a game. I've just never had
1: the time. It's so time intensive.
2: Uh, and it's not even like the coding type. Because I've, I've, I've. I've written my own game engine.
1: Wow, of course you have.
2: Um, wow. you write I'm your own surprised. everything. <laughs> so so a while back, uh have you
1: written
0: your own compiler?
2: No. I, I I wrote a I wrote it in JavaScript actually. Um because I wanted to do I I, I wanted to do something different with my portfolio site. And this is this is like a Oh yeah, a I remember that. Uh, is it still on the web? No, it's not anymore. Oh. It was nice it was based on so if you go to my if you go to the jellystar website right and you look at the jellystar website there's currently there's uh you know the big the big you know uh, rotating banner thing and then there's a sprite uh of like a version of of me like an icon you know of of me uh that was one of the sprites from this from this game thing so the idea was it was it was literally it was very very simple you could uh it it drew like um kind of mario style graphics on the screen which allowed you and you had a little you know guy that you could control with arrow keys and move him around and jump around and do stuff it was very very simple that's good. Cool. from scratch well done on javascript it
1: was, awesome. it was kind of fun that sort of stuff is fun to do sometimes it's really fun i i would like to write a game engine but there is like I see zero point in doing it. See, I'm struggling to find the time to write a game. Exactly. Mess with a game using an existing engine. To- I,
2: I like to do these things, and I, I think it. I think it's worth actually pointing out that part of the reason that I do these things isn't necessarily because, um, because you know, I, I like writing inane stuff. I find it kind of uh, a, a good way to stretch myself into into ways uh, of doing things. So, uh, I think. A couple of episodes back, we talk, I was talking to Ben about how I um how I wrote a URL yeah. um URL parser in PHP and uh and then a couple of days after that I wrote something I wrote basically ported uh NS scanner to PHP um and not for any other reason than you know now I know exa- I know exactly how P- NS scan works like I know exactly I know more than what the documentation tells you like I can tell I can tell you exactly how uh if you use this. Uh, part of uh, of ns scanner to scan up to this point in in, in the string what you're going to get back and if you uh, if you skip characters then what what that actually does and that sort of so I know how that works really well now yeah that, um,
0: that makes a lot of sense I mean uh, yeah it's nice to gain a deeper understanding of an API and the design decisions that went into it mm. through implementing it again
2: didn't, wonder, didn't you write a, a string like a, a string class at some stage?
1: That was different, man. <laughs> but totally yes, the did. same. <laughs> that totally was the same thing. The different reasons, string, same sort of purpose. Yeah, well, I did it because string is awesome, but it was way too heavy and slow for what I needed to do. I just needed to constantly add a character onto the end of a string.
0: Yep. Oh, this was your letterpress, uh, letterpress solver. solver.
1: <laughs> and I still was really slow. No one ever told me how that guy in the App Store did it. Please someone tell me how you can generate all of the words from a letterpress string, which is 25 characters long. In like less than a second, I got it down to eight seconds on device, and I thought that was good, but someone's yeah. doing it in less than a second Correct. see these are sort of these are sort of little mind games and puzzles that would be so much fun if there were more time exactly that's the problem I have, so I have no time to write a game engine that yeah. would probably take more than a year um, but there are I'd rather just write a game
2: there. there are heaps of them out there, so yeah. i think it's I think it's worth saying that uh if you're going to write something. Uh, that, you, that is going to go into production unless you have a lot of time or are a major development company yeah who they you mean know, they they all write their own game engines anyway uh and use them across multiple projects like no game engine exists solely for one game um everybody anytime somebody writes a game engine they always use it for for multiple projects or at least plan yeah, to do so right. uh i mean you 've got like the, there are the major ones like uh the unreal source? unreal one unreal. you know uh the, the the quake one what's that one called can't remember can't
1: remember either yeah you're right
2: um and then there's a whole bunch of like i guess indie kind of ones that are usually open source or you know run by a very small team or one person um there was one called impact in fact mm-hmm. js that i i was looking to there for
0: a while there's
1: so many so um,
0: assuming i'm not going to write my own but i am interested in just messing around with an idea for a game what game engine would you recommend
1: depends and why on that. yeah so basically what happens is there'll be a and wikipedia's got a good one there'll be a big table of all the game engines and there'll be a list across the top of all the features and you scroll down and look for ones that has the features you need so what they're doing is it's just like coco you know, Coco provides all these awesome things so that we don't have to work out how to put a character on the end of a string. We can just do it in one line. Um, it's the same thing for game engines. So some game engines will support tile maps if you want to make an RPG or something. You don't have to go and write your own tile engine to yeah, pull in a good. map. Yeah, that good. Which ones do that? Coco's 2D. Excellent. Um, but uh, some won't. But they'll have some impact, other features. Impact also does that. Tile map supports actually very common feature. And what about platform? So... Exactly. That's the biggest uh, feature. In, to in, the you point. may
0: or may not notice. I still haven't said any name of a potential theoretical upcoming game kit out loud because I'm not going to breach an NDA. <laughs> Unlike my he, companions here,
2: he just no, talked about it. Like you can several, say what it is because the words were in the keynote. That's right. You can you can name it. You okay. just can't you can't
0: uh, you can't talk
1: about I'm, it. I'm just
2: scared.
0: <laughs> uh, so the game engine that I might be allowed to name. Uh, what was I going to ask? Obviously, that's only going to work on iOS, right? So, that And would, Mac. And Mac. So that would be a good choice if I was going to stick with Apple platforms exclusively. But if, uh, if, for example, I wanted to do a game that worked on uh, iOS and Android, uh, what would okay. you recommend Okay, so you there?
1: have heaps of choices. Um, seeing as you, this one's kind of different, but seeing as you know Objective-C, you can use Cocos 2D, the iPhone version, which is fully open source, And you can use this awesome new tool, which I tried the other day, and they are now the sponsors of Coco's 2D, um, called App Portable, and it cross-compiles source Objective-C to Android. It's a proper compiler, not an interpreter, so it doesn't give you Android source code. Yeah. It compiles it across, and it works.
0: Fantastic. So I could just write an Mm Objective-C game for the iOS using...
1: Cocos 2D. You couldn't use nameless game engine because you don't have the source for that. So the compiler needs source obviously yep. to compile but Cocos yep. 2D because it's open source it would just happily compile straight through that and your game just works on Android. I mean it will probably stretch to the screen yep. but yeah. nice. Um, so you could good... also use Cocos 2D X which is the one that so here's how it worked. Zynga used to, Zynga was the sponsor of Cocos 2D mm-hmm. um, new nameless game engine was announced I'm gonna name it. It's called Sprite Kit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ben's not scared. Yeah, you're like come Dump- at me. <laughs> you're like
0: Dumbledore. Danger, danger is his middle name. Okay, so the Harry Potter reference is lost in you there. Everyone it calls is. him He shall who not who shall not be named. Isn't that scared? That's
1: Voldemort, man. No, no Dumbledore the only one that will say ah out right. loud. <laughs> I am Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um. Anyway, so Sprite Kit was announced, and Zynga decided that. Well, actually, the head of Cocos 2D Development, who's called Rick, decided that time was not probably worth spending on the iOS version now, and they would concentrate on their multi-platform one, which is Cocos 2DX, which is a C plus C++ framework. Right. But that will compile to pretty much everything. But I'd have to write C++. But you would have to write in C++, not Objective-C. Mm-hmm. And what about the web? So, back
0: in the day, Flash was a really popular environment. I'm not going to call it a game engine because it... Mm, it seems to me that Flash is both more and less than a game environment. Yes. Uh, but it was a popular choice for doing little basic casual games because uh, it was pretty widespread. There were Flash players everywhere. Um, these days, if people are wanting to commission a, a little casual game and they want it to work on mobile devices and on the web,
1: are there any options? Are there yes. any contenders? Unity. Unity is the new Flash, basically. So, um, Unity builds to almost everything, including the web. Um, and they announced maybe a few months ago they were getting HTML5 support as well. So, I, I never really got why people hated on Flash and then suddenly loved Unity because it still required a plug Right, yeah. So, you may Unity as well just got Flash. Something. And Unity even could build for Flash, which was even more crazy. Um, but yeah, Unity is a very heavy game engine which can push to pretty much everything. Though It's a 3D game engine, but you can get... Frameworks inside it that are yeah. more optimized for 2D. Um, it's very, it's pretty easy to use. I've used it a bit. So the one
2: that I was talking about before, Impact, which is basically the only game engine that I know anything substantial about, which is why I just keep mentioning it. Uh, it's it's like my Nimbus. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, do Nimbus have a game engine? They no, should. No, uh, they don't. <laughs> uh,
2: so Impact is is a JavaScript-based game. Uh, engine i think you have to pay for it like you pay a
1: a, unity you definitely have to pay you you,
2: you pay i think it was like 80 bucks at the time that i I picked it up and never used any used it for anything uh i don't know what it is now but you you pay you pay to get access to the the code and everything that you require uh it has a tile like a tiling engine and you can build like a game uh map builder which so you 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 put your tiles into it and it creates that you can you paint you your game, uh, from that, and you can do th- all sorts of things like uh, you know, the, the particles and all that sort of stuff as well. You
1: got to get a particle engine.
2: It's it's pretty it, I- impact is pretty good. It's built so that it renders in a canvas on on h in HTML five. Um, yeah, okay,
1: but that doesn't sound
0: like it'd be hardware accelerated.
2: Well, can- canvas is hardware accelerated is hardware depending hardware on the, the browser. browser. Um, is that it,
1: using WebGL? I know nothing about this. I think so.
2: Okay. Maybe I I'd have to check that. I don't don't quote me on that. Um.
0: Okay. We won't tell anyone that you said that.
2: So, but it it also has uh it ha- the 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 guy that brought that out also has a, a project to be able to uh, deploy those to uh you know, the iOS app store and that sort of stuff. And he actually he he's you know as proof of concept he's you know produced a very simple four level game. I I have no idea. I think it's like a web wrapper or something or other. Um, but it it like the, you you play the game on the like on an iOS de- device and it's it's as fast as you would expect because it's not like downloading anything or, or anything like that.
0: So that was going to be my next question: is when people talk about cross-platform technologies for non-games, my my immediate reaction, I have to be honest, is sus- suspicion because I've seen so many that do such a poor job of you know, creating good apps on multiple platforms. I feel like it's a little bit of a false promise here that there's, you know, someone will always have a technology to say, if you use technology X, you have to be able to write it once and it will run anywhere. Um, And really it's always more complex than that. Um, With these game engines, is it like, is the experience noticeably different or noticeably worse using a game that's been developed in a, using an engine that will work across platforms compared to doing it natively on each?
1: Yeah. So, that's one good thing going for games, is they generally don't have to use standard UI controls to look good. They generally have their entire own thing, and it's just one OpenGL view, right? So, so we, they look cool on every platform. Yeah. Basically. So with non-game apps, I guess that um, it really stands out. Yeah, and it's two two
0: elements. There's performance, so sometimes those technologies can lead to like laggy scrolling and things like That's that. That's right. But even if you solve that issue, there's the kind of user experience thing where you know you end up having, like, tax software on the Mac that feels like it was written for Windows. If you're a a local Aussie, you might know the reference there. Yeah. (sighs) Um, But with game engines, that second problem isn't so much of a problem because uh, games tend to create a world of their own where the user interface elements just need to be
1: consistent within the game and don't need to be consistent with anything else. And so they generally look good on every platform. So it's then just a question of performance, and is performance of these cross-platform things Yeah, because normally they're building for... All of these platforms are supporting OpenGL and they're all building for OpenGL. So it's- yeah, nice. Okay. But you're right. It- I think that
0: the, the, the complexity there is the ones that target the web as well as... No- no. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the sort of things I'm thinking about, are not so much... I, I can never see myself getting enough into game programming to be working on serious games for serious gamers. But occasionally I might come across a project where the client wants, you know... A degree, a little bit of casual gaming that is going to be entertaining and interesting to someone who's not a full on serious gamer. Um, and it'd be, I'd like to be able to explore technologies I think for that sort of thing.
1: SpriteKit is going to be awesome for you for that reason.
0: Except that it will only work on iOS and potentially there might be other platforms that ah. I might need to target, which is frustrating. But anyway, hmm. sounds like I need to choose between Cocos 2D and SpriteKit.
1: Yes, you can be happy that Cocos 2D is alive now thanks to App Portable. Uh,
0: Do you think that Cocos 2D will seek to start to create API compatibility with SpriteKit to make it easy to move
1: between the two? Or do you (laughs)
0: think that they're going to keep going on
1: their own? I don't want to, like, just claim that SpriteKit ripped the whole thing off, but the API is already extremely similar, almost word for word. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's nice,
0: the, mm. the the concepts that, you know, potentially you could do, well, I don't know why you'd bother doing an iOS version in SpriteKit and an Android version, for example, in Cocos no,
1: 2D. No, probably not. You'd just you go, go with Co-Cos the 2D. one that yeah. did it all. And, I mean, um, there's already one guy who's announced, and he's definitely not scared of NDAs, so he's announced his game engine on top of SpriteKit, which was previously a game engine for Cocos 2D, and he's made it so you can sort of switch renderers. He's a sprite oh, or right. he? so yeah, It's no, like one level Abstraction, abstraction Even greater abstraction hmm. which, which
0: has advantages Right So if he Yeah a lot of game
1: engines Do that for Windows You can like, switch between OpenGL and DirectX Yeah
0: And I suppose if he supported Some Android rendering As well You could write everything On that higher level And then swap out The kind of implementation Yeah Yeah Well if I ever find time I'm going to Play with these a bit
1: I'm happy to answer questions
0: I quite like Game, in questions. Well, speaking of which, do any of our listeners have game-related questions?
2: I was about to say that because it's time for us to end.
0: Oh, yeah, we've we've run out of time.
1: Time flies, eh?
2: What we'll do is, uh, we'll for for all the stuff that we have talked about, uh, like the 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 engines that we've that we've mentioned, that Ben's mentioned, that the the one that I mentioned. Uh, I bet yours mention, is the best one though. It's probably the best one. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll throw links to those in the show notes, along with some of the other stuff that we talked about earlier on in the episode, um, for your benefit, Jake, just as much as for everybody else's. Thank you. Uh and I'm going to have to go back and actually do some reading on Impact again because I feel like I'm really out of date because I'm struggling to remember stuff with it. Uh, but that'll all be there. That's always all, all going to be on the website. The website is mobilecouch.co forward slash 13. The lucky number 13. Uh, If you do have questions about game stuff, uh, Ben is raring to answer your questions, apparently.
1: I am. Bring can, him on.
2: You can hear the excitement in his voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all you need to do to to, to ask questions uh, and you know, or, or, or to you know, just getting contact with us in general is to uh, jump onto our website mobilecouch.co forward slash contact, and uh, from there you can send an email to uh, all three of us, and we will. Um, yeah, we we, we will uh, endeavour to either answer the the uh, questions here on the show, or we can also you know possibly get back to you. Maybe, possibly, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, you can also get in touch with us directly on Twitter or on App. dot net. Uh, ben is at Ben Trengrove, B E N T R E N G R O V E. Jake is J Mcmullen, J-M-A-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. and I am at Jelly. Bean Soup on Twitter, or just Jelly on
0: app.net. Shortening. Yeah, it's good. On the next platform, you'll be J.
2: Yeah, I'll just go straight for J, And then, if, I'll, and then fact, I'm just going to be the dot above the, the J.
0: You could certainly get that screen name if you wrote your own.
2: Yeah, I will. I'll write my own. So, it's good, good practice. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Uh, we will talk to you guys in another couple of weeks. Been great. Bye. Bye. Bye.